Welcome to Rise Together. My name's Dave Hollis. I'm the host of this show where we're going to hopefully have you feeling a little more normal in this, the human experience. Maybe see yourself even in some of the stories that are told or have your appreciation of what it means to be human expanded by someone who's come on as a guest who's had a different life experience. In all of it, we are trying our best in community to learn from each other, to grow, and maybe even have a little bit more compassion for what it's like to walk in each other's shoes. When we do, we all rise together. Maria, I, in the tee up to this, have written in the book this belief that you have to have some faith that though you do not get a say in the conditions through which you will become this best version of yourself, having faith that the things that happen to you are in fact what is necessary for you to become this best version of yourself is what you have to embrace. Mm -hmm. Faith that though you might not understand why, that they are actually things that you're meant to go through. You have been through some things, and I'm wondering how the courage to have that faith played out in your own life and in your own story. I think that for a long time, I didn't know that, right? Like I believed in God and, and I think like, you know, for my, the first part of my life, my dad was very sick with diabetes. And they're, you know, immigrants, they didn't really understand the language. So anytime they met with doctors, they didn't really understand what was kind of happening. They just knew don't eat sugar. Well, Carbs are sugar, so my dad wouldn't eat carbs. He did manual labor, and when you don't have something to, you know, sustain the energy you're putting out, your sugar's going to drop and tank. So I lived the first 21 years of my life on pins and needles, is he alive or is he dead, every day, and having to tune into my gut to know where is he, is he okay? So I, at a very young age, would tell my mom, I would tug on her pants when my dad didn't show up, and I'd say, he's at the other place and he's stuck. Mm. We would be at a mall waiting for him. I'm like, he's at the other place and he's stuck. And they would find out that he had gotten a flat tire or went to the wrong mall because his sugar was low, he was disoriented. So forever, it was really always about my dad and how we keep him alive. And I think... You know, that's like a fight or flight status that you're constantly in. And then, um, you know, I went to college breaking that kind of, you know, connection was really scary. I'm going to be away from him. What if something happens and I'm not there? And then, of course, moving on into Los Angeles and being 3,000 miles away now. Get into this career and, you know, you worked in the business, so you know it can be very toxic. And as I'm going through all these really toxic, really, really painful experiences, I was just like, what the frick? How? How does one navigate all of this? I had no tools. My parents were janitors. I didn't understand how to navigate the politics of these worlds. And, oh, my God, I CC'd someone on an email that now everyone hates me for. I didn't know they told me to. And now it's because the big boss told me to do it. Now the little boss hates me for it. Oh, my God, I don't know what's happening. Don't they just know who I am? I'm a nice person. I have good intentions. And so it was a really painful journey. 
And then, you know, you're in the hands of some very unnecessarily cruel people who are just trying to extinguish your light. And you're like, why, 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 why? At some point I realized, okay, maybe I'm supposed to go through this so that I can help other people through it because I'm very strong. I didn't quite know how strong I was at the time or really think I was strong, but I was like, maybe this is my journey. Cut to uh, five years ago, my mom gets diagnosed with a brain tumor. And, you know, my world just completely gets rocked. I went from always worrying about my dad to, holy shit, it's my mom. Like, I would never think it was going to be my mom. But I should have known because she was the caretaker in the family. And she had to carry all that stress. And so dove in and started taking care of her. And was her Tom Brady and her Bill Belichick all in one. I was like, I'm going to, you know... I'm going to fight this with everything I have and not just fight it because I think a lot of people when they get a disease are like, we're going to fight. It's like, no, we're going to strategize. We're going to create a board of directors of the top neurologists in the country. And every time we bump our heads, we're going to ask everyone's opinions. We're going to sit with them. We're going to feel, and then we're going to decide. And that's how we're going to do this. And so in the middle of all of that, I'm having these excruciating headaches. Mm. I'm suffering. i slurring my speech on set at E! News, and I would actually crack jokes. I'd be like, oh, guys, it's my stupid brain tumor. Having no clue that I was about to be diagnosed with my own brain tumor. So a couple months after my mom, it's like, bomb drops, you have one too. Top uh, tumor researcher in the country says, this is like lightning striking. This just doesn't happen. The top neurologist at Cedars-Sinai, my mom's brain surgeon, Dr. Keith Black, When I walked into his office, he goes, uh, you know, I said to him, so you see this like mother-daughter tumor thing all the time, right? And he just looks at me with this like stoic face. He goes, nope. Yeah. And I go, okay. It was at that point that I started applying the tools that I had been gathering. So just before my mom's tumor, I had really delved into the whole self-help uh, betterment space with Tony Robbins. And I had this one tool in my tool belt that was like, really helpful. And it was life is happening for you, not to you. And had I not done the training prior to these tumors, because at some point the toxic stuff in the work environment got so painful. I was like, I need help. I can't do this myself. And Tony's teachings really helped me. And in that moment I said, okay, this tumor is happening for me, not to me. I don't know why, but I'm going to continue down that path and follow the breadcrumbs. And I realized for me, I was trapped in an old dream. I wasn't happy anymore just reading teleprompter. I know I'm more than that. And I just had these beautiful golden handcuffs and I was supporting an entire family. And now more than ever, my paycheck was so important because I'm having to seek out all these alternative treatments for my mom and I have to take care of her and take care of us. And so it was was God just kind of... (laughs) saying, okay, we need to redirect. You're not going to do it on your own, but I'm going to redirect you. And I listened and I wrote a letter. The hardest part was writing a letter to everyone in my family, my dad, my husband, my mom. I gave them to my best friend right before I went under anesthesia. And I said, when I'm under, share this with them. And I wrote my dad a letter and I said, so dad, if I come out the other side, because they had said that my surgery was more dangerous than my mom's, which was ironic because my mom had stage four glioblastoma and I have hopefully what we think is a benign tumor. And he's like, no, yours is more dangerous. And I said, how in the frig could that happen? But whatever. 
And I didn't care at that point because I was so exhausted by whatever I was in. I didn't even want to really be here anymore. Yeah. I was like, I hope this is like my get out of jail free card. That's really pathetic wow. and sad, but it's true. So I sent them these letters and I said, Dad, if I come out of this, I'm going to live a very, very different life. And you might not have things to brag about anymore because I live to make him proud. And I said, I may not care to make the money I was making before. I may not care to do the things I was doing before. And I hope that you'll accept me and love me regardless. And so it's been four years and he's never asked me what I'm doing anymore. (laughs) He asks me how I'm doing, which is really important to me. And when you're in a hospital bed and your eyes are going like this because the nerves were damaged and you can't walk. And I had a walker for a really long time. You really see what's important in life. And I really feel blessed that I got this tumor because it really put me on a different path. And it was happening for me, not to me. Um, I'll even say like, you know, it's been a long journey with my mom. This week would have been five years for her. She made it four years in like eight months or something. So almost five years with glioblastoma because as I said earlier, I put the ferocity that I put into my career into her and I gave her everything I had. Partly because I also knew if I could figure it out for her, I could figure it out for other people. That was like another side thing in my head. I was like, well, if we can use her as kind of like this experiment because I didn't want to just settle for what was um, provided in just the traditional sense. I wanted to go full 360 and I love solving problems. And so I was like, okay, we can figure this out. I also, in the caretaking process, when some, both of my parents were diagnosed with COVID the day before Thanksgiving, which was a really excruciating experience. They were both in separate hospitals and I had to figure out how to care give when you can't even be in there. Wow. And so that's when I created the whole 24-7 FaceTime. And I just took my mom everywhere with me. She was in my car. She was. I slept with her. I would wake up with the nurses and be like, I think her feet are swollen. Um, can we elevate them? And I would sing to my mom. I would talk to her to keep her brain activity going because I knew if we didn't keep her brain activity going, we could lose her. Yeah. And so we get through the COVID, we get her home, which is a miracle. We get him home, which is a miracle. Now I'm playing doctor, going up and down the stairs to, you know, feed them, take care of them. And they both almost had to go back to the hospital multiple times. And I had to kind of pray and say, God, if I send them back, I'm not going to get them back. So please help me to figure this out. And I would get the answers and I would treat accordingly. And the rest was just God, obviously. But in my mom's brain tumor, quadrupling in size because she wasn't able to get her chemo treatments because she was too weak with COVID. I flew her home to Connecticut and I was caretaking every day and totally, totally in the nitty nitty gritty of it all. And I was like, am I throwing my life away? Should I be like other people that are still doing their life, but like you know, they pop in and they do their stuff. And I'm like, it's just not me. And I can't. And I got the download. It was like, no, that's exactly where you need to be. Cause this is how you're going to be able to help people. So to your point, we go through the shit. And if we can look at it through the right lens, first of all, it's a better way to go through it. 
I said, I know that everyone thinks I'm a crazy person because I kept saying my mom's a miracle and she'll continue to be a miracle. And it wasn't until the fat lady sang, as they say, where I said, okay, I give in. She's now gone and they've pronounced her dead. And okay, so that's, that's it. She was the miracle that she was for the time she was. But I kept believing in the miracle because it was so much better to go through life like that. And if I hadn't gone through that, maybe we wouldn't have had the five years. Maybe we wouldn't have had the journey that we had. If I hadn't looked at things like everything was happening for me, not to me, and that everything was happening as it's supposed to unfold, it would have been a really, really much more painful journey. And for both me, my mom, my family, it was just the better way to go through it. And I believe so deeply that I mean, we know without darkness, there's no light. So we have to go through these things. There's no one who's going to be exempt from problems. It's just how you're going to choose to go through it. Yeah. It's so interesting because her diagnosis and your diving into her diagnosis and care had to have in some way prepared you for handling your own experience in a way that you could not have appreciated at the time. Mm -hmm. So there was, I'm sure, a gift in that, but also... As you think about the way that your legacy will be defined at the end of your life, I'm right now in real time contemplating how people will talk about me having had a career for 20 plus years in entertainment. And my hope is that no one brings up anything that happened in the first 20 years of my career because (laughs) of what I hope to be a really prolific back half of my life. It'd be amazing to see how people will remember you at the end of yours as this event changes the way that you stepping into this calling defines the way that you have an impact on people that ends up being a total deviation from anything that anyone's ever known. Yeah. We'll see. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Last question. When you think about courage, mm-hmm. right? You've been through quite a bit. How do you define the kind of courage that's necessary to in the face of things that are inevitably going to be harder than you'd hope for? How do you define the kind of courage that's necessary to step closer to the calling of your life? I don't know if I even know how to answer that. I don't even know if any of us know what courage is. We just do it. There's just no other way in life. You have to just face it and you have to deal with it. You have to walk through it. I think it just kind of is what it is. You You have to just go through it. There was a moment I was back in LA for work and It was like a quick one-day thing. I popped in, and it was the week before my mom passed. And I looked at my husband. I'm like, I don't want to go back home. I called them on FaceTime. I said, I don't want to come back there. I don't want to see this part. Like, I did my job. I don't don't need to see. Because I had heard different stories of, like, what could happen. And I was like, I don't need to see that stuff. And, but then, you know, you can't not be there. Yeah. You know that. You, you know, for me, in my choice, and everybody has a different choice, and I don't judge anybody for what they do or don't do, um, I needed to be there with her for that last second, whatever it was. So that's courage, facing the things you don't want to face and doing the things you don't want to do. And I think we all just kind of do it. Yeah. And then you find out how strong you are. And so I think that's something that's pretty cool is the more shit you do go through and the more shit you do take, you really see what you're made of. And then you're kind of like Teflon. You realize that like you're Superman, like nothing's gonna really 
penetrate because you've gone through so much and you know that you can like get in front of that moving train and probably stop it for somebody else. And that's what gets me excited is when I see that moving train coming for someone, I'm like, I got you. Hold on. Let me hold it. There it is. Okay. Now we have a second to breathe. Let's make our choices. Let's make our decisions. And that's kind of what I've been doing, helping people through their health challenges is giving them a different perspective, a little bit of patience. You know, we get really scared and then we act from fear, which never yields a good result. You've got a, you've got a, a strength that is different through the fire that you've had to walk. Yeah. And now you get to let other people borrow that strength at times, which is a beautiful testimony and legacy to your mom and also to the experience that you've been through. Yeah, I give you one quote that I like lived with aside from Tony's, um, and it comes from my favorite, favorite, favorite Sylvester Stallone, Rocky Balboa, and he says, "If it ain't it ain't about how hard you hit, it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward." And I was interviewing him at the Golden Globes when he won, and I said, "I hear your words in the back of my head," and my worst in darkest moments. And that's what gets me through. And so it was funny. My first words out of anesthesia, (laughs) my husband was filming everything because I documented the whole thing and I'm going to do a documentary on it. Not just my tumor, but just the journey of people through these things and these challenges. Um, He filmed me and I'm just like, I can't even open my eyes yet. I'm like, ain't about it. (laughs) And I sent it to him and I said, if you didn't know how much your words moved me and inspired me in my life, I think now you really, really know. And he sent me this beautiful letter back and he said, you know, all these things. And at the end, it said, P.S. Rocky would never, ever, ever want to fight you. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yes. (laughs) So good. Yeah. Thank you, Maria. I appreciate you so much. In this pursuit of who you'd hope to become, my argument is that you have to have the courage to embody the mindset that has you believing that you deserve to be on this journey, even though the conditions that might show up may not be ones that are favorable, even as the voices in your head start to creep in and have you questioning if you have the ability to do this thing that you've been placed on this planet for, I think of you as a guru o mindset and as much as i you know like i've i've described it as like an avatar that i have to put on so that i am embodying that version of who i'd hope to be in the pursuit of becoming who i'd hope to become i can stay in that state uh, i'm curious how you think about courage and its relationship to mindset when it comes to pursuing the calling of your life or the purpose while you're on the planet well, so courage is uh, uh, its own universe. And there's the John Wayne quote, which I'm probably going to butcher, but I love the concept, which is courage isn't the absence of fear. It's saddling up in the face of fear. And that's always made a lot of sense to me because, you know, when I, I think of everything through an evolutionary lens and I'm perfectly willing to believe that God gave us evolution and that's how we got here. But nonetheless, the journey is one of evolution. And so to understand what it means to be a human through that lens, I think, is really eye-opening. So fear has a purpose. It it has a reason. And to pretend that it is something that is only pathological, I think, is a mistake. So, all right, I've got this impulse of fear. It's there to tell me something, to take something seriously, to let me know that the stakes are high, whatever the case may be. So now my job as a courageous person is to walk into that 
use it for what it's useful for, but find my way through that such that it doesn't constantly stop me, which is where most people live is that they misinterpret the impulse of fear as in don't go do this thing rather than the stakes are high and there's risk. They read it just as don't do it. And so it makes their life smaller and smaller over time. And the great tragedy of aging is it just seems like your life gets smaller and smaller. The things that scare you grow more and more legion. The times that you were able to figure it out, <laughs> it gets small. And so you're you know, moving through this really narrow window. And so there's this arrogance of youth, as old people say, looking back, where it just seems like they're just too dumb to realize how much life is going to kick their ass. But who's really dumb, right? Because at least in their naivete, and there is a lot of the bravado is naivete. I I won't deny that, myself included. But it gets you to do things you wouldn't otherwise do. And ultimately what this boils down to is life is all about what you do or don't do. And it isn't about what you were afraid of or weren't afraid of. Because by all means, the vast majority of the things in my life I have done under the yoke of fear, right? Like sometimes almost abject terror. Yeah. And I've still made the moves that my goals demanded. And so there's this interesting relationship for me between mindset, having to to develop the courage. I don't use the avatar thing, though I recognize the science behind it and why it's so powerful. And just... My Once you set a goal, the goal dictates what must be done in order to achieve that, right? So if you want to be the next LeBron James, you better start dribbling. There's no way for you to become that unless you dribble, right? There's no way to become that unless you practice shooting. It just isn't possible. And so you're not going to go swimming every day. You're not going to go get great at poker. Like, you're going to get good at basketball. And the goal itself mandates that action. And so now you get this interesting dance of, okay, well, my goals demand that I act in these ways that really extend me out there, whether it's public speaking in front of a lot of people, whether it's putting myself financially at risk to achieve the things that I want as an entrepreneur. And fear, because there really are high stakes, you know, evolution throws that bad boy right up into my consciousness. And so now, you know, how do we navigate that? So the tools that I use to do that are recognizing Facts about the way the world works. And that to me is like the great unlock. Just what is true about the world. Objectivity. Right. And what is true about the world is that failure is the most information rich data stream that exists. It triggers the areas of your brain that have to do with focus and memory because of the pain. So, hey, it hurt. It was very tactile. You were in the middle of trying something and you watched how that attempt worked or didn't work. And so now I've forced myself, instead of that being a commentary about me, right, which is what the fear is about, that, hey, if you fail, you are a failure, that's where the fear comes. There is no fear. If I know failing means I'm going to learn something, and look, you have to be savvy enough to make sure that when you fail at this thing, that it isn't game over, right? Whether that's death or just your finances are obliterated. So you do have to be thoughtful about that. But when you position yourself such that I can financially and physically absorb the failure. Then the only question left is, can I emotionally absorb the failure? So I switch over into the learner's mindset and go, hey, look, the failure will be embarrassing. I'm okay with that because 
on a long enough timeline, if I'm willing to learn from my mistakes, I'll beat anybody at virtually anything. Yeah. And so you see the byproduct, you see the yield that comes out of the failure as the reason to have it be stronger than the fear of anyone judging you for the failure. And that that is the nature of things, right? It's the cost of entry. Right. It, It just, it must be. So it, the only way to learn efficiently is to try something and fail. So if that's true, then I just have to break this association between I have failed, therefore I'm a failure. Once you break that and you're just like, I'm here to learn. And I know the most efficient way to learn is to try. Inevitably in that I'm going to fail. So failure is a part of this. Embarrassment is a part of failure. But I can break sort of that hold by looking at things more objectively and just say, okay, I know somebody's laughing at me because that's also, it just is true of human nature. We, you know, yeah. laugh when people fall. There's the schadenfreude of maybe somebody doesn't like you and so they actually enjoy your failure. I mean, there's all, it's a complex game. Yeah. But at the end, it's, a, it's an emotional game. And so you figure out the emotional part, then you figure out that your goals just make certain demands, and then you recognize that life is simply a question of what you do and don't do. So now it's like you've got this three little thing baskets, relatively easy to sort of figure out. Uh, you just have to have the courage to actually be in that moment of complete abject failure where you really do look like a fool. No reason to lie about it. Yep. And it stings, it hurts, it's embarrassing. People have a reason to laugh at you. I won't say a right, but they have a reason to laugh at you for sure. So some of them are going to take it. And then you just have to believe in the truth of if I keep working at this thing to get better, I actually will get better. And if they're busy laughing and making fun, they're not getting better. And so I'll win. Yeah. What's interesting is the, there's a chapter early in the book about uh, it's titled The Hubris of the 23-Year-Old Me, where I actually tell a story of me doing something that I'm not sure the 46-year-old version of me would necessarily do because of the way that the world has whittled down mm. some of what I believe to be possible. And I'm curious, as you talk about the narrowing of how fear creates opportunity or scarcity or whatever it ends up being, like, what is it? Why? What, like, what are those pressures that are actually narrowing in? I can identify it for myself, even though I feel a confidence today through experience that I didn't experience that or, you know, half a lifetime ago, 23-year-old version of me. And yet, I was a little more of a risk taker. I wasn't as worried about some of the consequences of my actions and let fear today still act as somewhat of a governor of how many chances I'm willing to take. What are the, what, what are the forces from your perspective that narrow our view, or at least the majority of people's view on what's possible for their life? So we have subconscious processes that run in our mind. And one of the most basic foundational ones is you're going to, whether you want to or not, you're going to move towards pleasure and move away from pain. Yeah. And that's just the mechanism that nature gave us. So nature wants to ensure that we have kids. So uh, sex is incredibly pleasurable. Nature wants to make sure that we have kids that survive long enough to have kids, which is why bonding with your children is just like one of the most ecstatic things that any human being can go through. So it's this deeply pleasurable thing that people move towards. So pain is on the other side. It's like, well, I burned my hand on the stove. I don't want to do that again. I embarrass myself in front of the class. Well, I don't want to do that again. So, okay, that's one less thing that we're going to do. This is a real story. I was playing basketball in high school and I got trapped. So the the other team was all around me. Literally felt like all five of them were around me. I couldn't dribble anymore. I was holding the ball. All eyes were on me. I was panicking. So I just threw the ball straight into the air and it almost hit the rafters because I just like could not be the one holding the ball anymore because I just didn't know what to do. 
And literally to this day, there's one guy, if I saw him right now, he would bring that story back up because he was there and he found it the funniest thing ever. But it was like, well, that was the end of my basketball career, right? So in that moment, I was so embarrassed. I never wanted to be in that position again. And the easiest way to never feel the way that I felt and have that panic is just don't play basketball. So now it's like, okay, don't touch hot stoves. Don't play basketball. Don't get up in front of the class. You know what I mean? And it just starts to be all these, hey, each one of them is a rational decision, right? I I don't want to have that kind of embarrassment where the whole school is watching me panic and melt down. And it is very easy to avoid. And any one of those decisions isn't a big deal. It's when your life is 10,000 of those decisions that narrowed your world down. And so you have to learn to learn a different lesson. Yeah. What I mean, the, the conceit of the book is this idea that you're here for a reason. There's a calling, an intuition, voice of God, your knowing, whatever you want to call it, inside of you that's begging you to sit up and take notice of why you're here. And if your world has continued to shrink, it takes even, uh, like it's, I think it's a proportional amount of courage to push against all the experiences you've had that have closed down stoves, basketball, speaking in front of people, if the reason why you're here sits somewhere through one of those things that you may have, you know, turned off in your life. I mean, you are such a, a, you're a thinker's thinker. I mean, I love the way that you have a framework or a strategic thinking methodology for coming to good decisions. How do you conjure courage or where, and like what parts of your life is courage and cultivating courage, a thing that you still have to do despite the fact that you've had success frame failure as a rich data source and every other thing that you do on an everyday basis? For me, it really comes down to, I learned that the only punchline to life isn't money, it's not fame, accolades, appreciation, it's none of that. It really is just, what do you think about yourself when you're by yourself? And nature has to make sure that courage in and of itself is emotionally rewarding. And that allowing yourself to become small and fearful is in and of itself a punishment. So it's this really interesting thing of like, I know to use fear to avoid certain things. And yet there's, it's what I call, there's the V of pathology. So there's pathology on both sides. So you can be so fearless that you die. And so nature punishes you for that. And you only really see people that are in an unstable emotional place, take those insane kind of risks. And then there's pathology on the other side where you're so paralyzed by fear that you don't do anything. And so nature's trying to give you these bumpers. And so I recognize I may want to avoid all these things that are scary, that have hurt me in the past or whatever, but I'll fall into this place where I no longer feel good about myself. I don't, I'm not impressed with myself. I'm not proud. And so you really do like going back to just, okay, if I know that my goal demands certain behaviors and my goal ultimately is to feel good about who I am, to have self-worth, self-respect, then I know that I can only allow myself to indulge in fear so far. And so then it becomes a question of, okay, which which elements of fear are worth leaning into and which ones am I just going to continue to avoid? Yeah. And it's interesting because it'll change throughout your life. So when I started Impact Theory, I told the team, so we took people, we left a very stable company at Quest, and I convinced the founding members of Impact Theory to join me on this crazy new endeavor. And I said, look, you have my word. I will do whatever it takes within my code of ethics to build this company. And I will always show up for you. And we had a guy that, it was this is probably the first year that we were in existence. We didn't have all of our streams of revenue going yet. 
And he, and my deepest fear in this world is getting lost at sea. So being out in the open ocean, not being able to see what's beneath me, knowing that there are denizens of the deep and a free diver. So people that just hold their breath and dive uh, calls me up and says, hey, I'm doing this boating trip expedition thing and I'm going to bring people and use free diving as a way to help people get over their fears. And I'm going to pay you however much it was to come and be a speaker at this thing. But I would also like you to join us in the free dive. Oh, Will my you do goodness. It? <laughs> and so there are these places in the ocean called blue holes, I think. You can see them in an aerial photo. It's just like normal, say, water. It's, you know, 50 feet deep. And then all of a sudden it'll be 500 feet deep in just this crater. It's insane. They look terrifying from the air. Yeah. And I was like, oh, God, oh, God. I promised my team that I would do anything within my code of ethics. And so I said, yes, I'll do it. And I agreed to do it. And I'm like, oh, God, I really, really did not want to do it. And as it ends up, he canceled the trip. And I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> thank God. And then by the time it like came back around a couple of years later, it was like, well, now we've got revenue streams and I no longer need to do that. So it went from being a fear I felt I needed to face to be the person I want to be. But then later became a fear where it was like, it, I'm not going to do everything that scares me. And just like my life is a litany of doing all the things that scare me. But it's like when there's a reason and I can recognize that my goals demand that I do it and I'm only not doing it out of fear then those are the ones that Gotta do it. To. Gotta do it. Well, thank you for listening to another episode. I appreciate you all being here so, so much. Before you go, I just want to make mention of one thing that I am so excited about. My daughter Noah and I have put together a delightful, an amazing, a wonderful children's picture book. It's based on the fun video series that we've done online called Tea Time with Noah. And it's called Here's to Your Dreams. It, uh, it comes out on November 8th. And it's a book that hopefully encourages children to be brave, to believe in themselves, to dream big. Uh, in this, our first adventure, Noah has this big dream of becoming a sea captain. She realizes in pursuing this dream that it's not all smooth sailing. She doesn't know how to captain, doesn't have a ship, doesn't know how to build one. And that process of having to learn and try and fail and get back up teaches her that she has so much of what she's always needed already inside of her and that every time it didn't go her way, it equipped her with some skills that allowed her to be even stronger and more resilient and believe more in herself on the other side. Again, it's called Here's to Your Dreams. It comes out on November 8th and you can get it anywhere books are sold. For more info, head to the link in the show notes or to here's to your dreams.com. 